Welcome back. It's another episode of the Bench Mob Podcast. We have here tonight with us a special guest, Cedric Henderson, assistant coach right now at Christian Brothers University. Played at Memphis from 1993-97, over 1,600 points, six overall in scoring, made it to the NCAA 20 twice, five seasons in the NBA, all-rookie second team. How are you doing? Thank you for hopping on with us. Oh man, thank you, man. I'm 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 doing good, man. I'm very blessed, man. Just glad to be around this game still and hanging out here lately in these weird times, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's been definitely crazy. Something I want to ask right off the bat. So you're coaching at Christian Brothers University. How is that, and how is it also coaching your son at the same time? Like I can't imagine how fun that is. <laughs> Well, you know, I coached him when he was at junior college at Southwest, and uh, that was an amazing experience. You know, um, you know, you always just kind of used to being his father and watch him through high school and things like that. So, you know, I never thought about the day I was going to get a chance to coach him, and uh, <laughs> it was cool. You know, and he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't uh, a knucklehead like you know what I'm saying. You know, I've, sometimes you can be dad father situations where they kind of talking back or whatever. But he was really a great great player you know a, co- a very coachable guy um he listened to listen to me and we, we had great conversations over the games you know uh in fact some days he even had some better points than I had and better views of what what was going on so that was a, definitely one of the, the highlights of my young co- coaching career uh being able to coach him and uh, see him doing so well at the next level where he is now yeah I can't like I said, I don't have kids yet, but I know that's <laughs> got to be that's got to be dope, especially to be able to see your son having success too. It's a lot of players that their children aren't really that good. They don't really turn out. It to happens. Be that good. It happens, and we're I'm and I'm very happy and blessed about it. So I mean, but he works hard, man. My my son, I give him all the credit in the world. I mean, he does he doesn't take it for granted. That's one thing I like about him. He doesn't just you know think it's going to happen. He knows he has to put in the work. So that what makes him a great guy. That's good. That's good. You mentioned so, dealing with COVID, right? I mean, how's everything going with COVID? I know coaching during COVID must be must be different, all right? I mean, it's not like anything we've ever, we've ever seen before. So, how has that been for you? Well, it really shows it. You know, shows you who loves this game. You know, because of the, all the protocols we have to go through now, and if you're really dedicated, you know, and want to sacrifice to have a season, you have to do a lot of sacrificing as far as you know, paying attention to who you hang around, what are you doing. You know, because you, if you get tested positive, I mean, you know, you might lose a whole week or two. I mean, you see it all the way around the country, what's going on. Uh, it's been it's been it's been difficult, but I give credit to the team. They have been 
very dedicated to the season and dedicated to playing and doing all the right things. So it's that's been a great blessing about this whole situation is seeing young men kind of grow up and make those sacrifices because you know how hard it is. I mean, you're in college, man. You want to go hang out with your boys and, and do all the fun things that college <laughs> life brings. <laughs> but um, it's been fun. It's been, it's been very cool. And uh, I'm very humbled to be around with a great group of guys. Great group of guys. Yeah, I mean, you even see it with NBA players. It's it's hard yeah. for some of them to follow the protocol. So I can't imagine <laughs> yeah. being in college during this time and you can't, you just got to go to practice and go to your, your dorm. Like literally that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's no your life. Parties, <laughs> no, no, you can't go to any Greek events, like nothing. It's just school, gym. Like I can't imagine, but <laughs> Starting back with you, like where did your love for basketball start? It started when I was watching uh, a couple family members of mine who played in high school, you know, um, just being around those guys, you know, uh, watching them play. So, you know, I started falling in love with the game, you know, and, and I wasn't very good at it, but, I, you know, I was just, you know, neighborhood guy, you know, wanted to play basketball, be like his bigger cousins and stuff like that. And, uh, and then one summer, I just kind of grew kind of tall, and that helped a little bit. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, and then when you realize, you know, I mean, I always just had the fun and joy of it, just competing every day. You know, that was, that's how I met a lot of my friends. You know, that was just like my outlet from getting away from the house. You know, I grew up in a single mom home, you know. So, uh, so you know, I, my sister was like nine years older than me. So I really was like, I got to do something, you know, so. I uh, started getting into some sports with them. So, and then before I knew it, I just kind of fell in love with the game of basketball. That's definitely a major key. Me and Greg met through basketball. Like that's how we <laughs> met. So a right, lot of right. my close tight knit friends is from basketball. Like I literally think, except for one of my groomsmen and my wedding was because of basketball. Man, and that's what you I mean, if you really look at it, man, some of your best teammates are your best friends. You know, yeah. uh, I look at all the guys who I still talk to and stay in contact with and were former teammates that I played with and and had some good times, you know, and and it's something about that 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 locker room camaraderie we have, you know, going through those journeys, those seasons and, you know, all that crazy stuff we probably did. We shouldn't have been doing. But, you know, <laughs> that's how we experience life, you know, and. And uh, it ended up being cool, you know, you become friends. You know, I think me and the coach was talking about it uh, not too long ago in practice, just like, hey, you know, 20 years from now, we want to hear from these guys saying, hey, you know, coach, you know, we had a great time. We still talk to the guys, you know, they, you know, they married, they fathers, you know, so that's what you're doing in this thing. You know, you're kind of grooming young men to be something different. And I, and I still talk to some of my old coaches. So it's, it's just like a good thing of passing, passing down knowledge, you know, every day. I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, and the mentorship is is amazing that you get to do as a coach. I, I I on a much smaller level, I coach AAU, and it's not the same. I don't I don't groom men, you know. I don't have to say <laughs> like, <laughs> level, right? But right. I mean, but it, just being around the guys, like the, com the camaraderie, it, it's like those some of those guys are still my best friends to this day. So it, it's it's definitely a lot of fun. I can speak to that too. I mean, you mentioned one summer you grew, you just got really tall and things changed, right? Like uh, your yeah. changed playing <laughs> basketball. What I want to know, too, is, like, I, we spoke to Brevin Knight, um, mm -hmm. and he mentioned growing up that he wasn't really doing a lot of the training that you see a lot of these young guys doing now with the cone drills and all the trainers, like, having five or six <laughs> different trainers. Was that like for you, like, how did you enhance your game? Was it playing a lot, 
or is it working out or you were you working out and with, with trainers well you know honestly man is i i mean in our days that's what it was it was playing man like we played non-stop basketball you know it wasn't like hey let's go get find a trainer first of all we couldn't afford a trainer that's that's what'd be so funny now when i hear a kid who in the eighth grade oh, i'm going to see my trainer i got a strength coach i'm sitting like Yo, like who paying for that? You know what I'm saying? But that's 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 where we are in in today's society. But you know, growing up, man, I just played the game. You know, I was playing on a milk crate. You know, in the backyard. You know, that's how we hoop. You know, you had to spray the spray the yard down from all the mud just so you wouldn't have too much dust out there. So, you know, that's how we played. And then as I got older, you know, you start playing around community centers. You know, that was a big thing for me. You know. Uh, one no trainer, but just let's let's be honest though. Technology wasn't you know there to give us all those luxuries that we have now. It was just like you know if I wanted to play a video game with a friend, I had to get on my bike and ride probably two blocks and bring my joystick to play with them. You know now you can sit at home, never see each other and play online all night long. I mean I watch my son, I'd be like yo who are you talking to? He's like oh, I'm online playing video games. I'm like oh okay, you know so it's a whole different it's a whole different love, but like. Growing up, man, I just played the game all the time. I mean, but I played all sports, though. You know, I was, you know, I was into football. I was into basketball. I was into baseball. I mean, I don't know y'all know about kickball, but, hey, that was big around here. We was playing kickball in the park all day long, you know, just just being a young man, you know, just having fun, you know, and that's that's all we did. So you just mentioned you played multiple sports, and, yes, me and Greg definitely know about kickball. That's some of the best games. Especially summertime, summer camp. Yes, sir. Anytime. Yo, what y'all want to play today? Kickball, kickball. dodgeball, those were all, always the top answers. Nobody knows better about that rubber ball, right? Exactly. How did you end up choosing basketball? So you played football, you played baseball. How did you end up choosing basketball as the sport you ended up turning into your career? Uh, well, football taught me a lesson that I was too tall. So when he was short dudes kind of hit me kind of hard. So I was like, all right, this ain't for me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, as I got better at basketball, you know, uh, it, honestly, like my, I didn't start really getting good at it. Like middle school was still seventh through ninth for me. So like my eighth grade year, uh, Coach Jones, who was at Bellevue Junior High, just put, he's like, yo, dude, we're we going to put you on the floor. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, and that's when I start competing, kind of organized basketball. Uh, then my ninth year, I just kind of got serious about it because I, I'm, I was one of those competitive kids who just wanted it to be good at something. You know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to put all my energy in it. And then it kind of took off. Uh, then that summer, I met Bobby Dodd, who was the Y. Uh, back in the day, it was a summer league, was the Y. And uh, I got with got with him as a, going into my 10th grade year. And just kind of had one of those summers. And uh, that's when I knew I was like, I, I can play this game. And end up going to East High School and, and the story goes from there. You mentioned that, you know, it was about 10th grade. You realized, hey, I can actually do this in high school. How did you end up choosing Memphis? You went to high school, I believe, in the state. You right. stay in the state. How did you end up going through that process and choosing there? And why did you end up staying home? Well, I was going to leave, and my mom wanted me to go to Vanderbilt. I mean, I was blessed to have a lot of opportunities to go to a lot of different schools. Um, and, you know, moms was all about that education. So when Vanderbilt came to the house, it was like, hey, this is where you're going. This is what you're doing. And I was like, okay, I'm sold on it. And then Anthony Hardaway, who was still at Memphis, and we were, we were not the same player, but we were in the same positions, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I was like, oh, man, I want to play because, you know, I was a McDonald's All-American, so – 
all these other coaches are saying, you know, hey, you come in, you might play right away. Uh, but when he declared for the NBA, that made my choice like, okay, I can play for home because I've always been a Memphis fan. Who doesn't want to play in front of their hometown? Like, let's be real honest. Um, I grew up watching the Tigers, you know, from the Andre Turners to the Elliott Perry's to the Keith Lees, the William Befford, uh, you know, just going to the Miss Out Coliseum and watching a lot of those great games. You know, it was like, hey, one day maybe, you know, <laughs> you know, like maybe I get there one day, maybe. And then when the opportunity came, I was just like, okay, this this might be it. And um, I think having a discussion with my mom was like, you know, she wanted me to make sure I was close to home. You know, either I was going to Nashville, which is Vanderbilt, was only two hours away, or come to Memphis. So when I chose Memphis, I think it was the greatest choice because I got to play in front of my fan, friends, my families. Um, they got to see me grow up, grow up until a young man, you know, right before their eyes. And, and it was so much great support. I mean, like, I don't know if y'all know our record, but when we played at the pyramid, the tomb of doom, we didn't really lose there. So <laughs> <laughs> we weren't even lose there. So it was just a great atmosphere and it was great to be, you know, a little hometown hero. So, you know, and if you look at all the other schools, the North Carolinas, the, the Kansas, you see a lot of local guys trying to play for those schools because they, you know, they grew up watching that team. So, that was one of the bigger reasons why I wanted to come to Memphis. Yeah, I definitely could say it's a different feeling when you're able to play at home in front of your friends and family. And as you said, the biggest part with that too is like they get to see you not only mature as a player, but as a man. And that's one of the, the best things because it's kind of hard. Some people obviously do it well, but it's kind of hard to do that across the country. It's it really like, is. Yeah. It could really be a challenge for you, for a lot of I mean, players. You see, you see a lot of young kids. I mean, like, it's tough for them not being – never being away from home, you know. So, I mean, the luxury of being able to say, you know, I'm going home, it means getting mom's cooking today. You know, that was definitely one of the biggest perks. But, you know, and I still got to see the world. You know, that was the other thing, you know. We, we, we were able to go play Cincinnati. We went to Hawaii, went to Australia, you know, during my college career. So I got to go travel and see the world and, and – uh, and I'm still able to come back home. So it was a, it was just a big, great blessing to be able to play here. Hey, we, you, know, you mentioned that something that stood out to me right away, too. And you mentioned it almost like like nonchalant, like it's no big deal. You said you were McDonald's All-American. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's something that 1% of people get to say, right? What was that right. like experience getting to play in the all, you play in the All-American game? Like what? Right. Who, who was with you? Like how was that? Well, I I was I was with the Jerry Stackhouse, the Rashid Wallace, the Randy Livingston crew. I mean, it was ninety-three class. I thought was pretty good. I mean, if you go back and look at it and look it up, you'll see. I think everybody except probably two or three guys didn't make it to the NBA on that roster. Uh, Charles O'Bannon, you, you know Ed O'Bannon, my younger brother, was on the team. Jogger Bond, I mean, uh, a lot of guys was on that roster, and that was the, really the first time I got to be able to see you know, like the top, top talent on all at once. You know, you usually go to a school, you might see two guys who can really play. But to see it all at once was like, man, it was crazy. And then the crazy part was we got to do it here in Memphis. So that, that made it even sweeter because I got to play the McDonald's All-American game right here in Memphis. And it was it was crazy, man. I mean, like, I mean, I, that, that could be one of the greatest moments of my life, being able to be on a platform that be in front of your friends and, and then being saying, hey, I'm coming to Memphis too. I mean, it was crazy uh, at that time. I enjoyed every moment of that, man. I mean, like, um, I think the craziest thing was when we were playing and we were doing the dunk contest at the Fieldhouse in Memphis. 
uh, I was so nervous because, you know, everybody was just like, yeah, said, come on, man, you got to do something crazy. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, so it, it was a great feeling, though. It was it was real cool, though, man. You know, I, and that was the first time I ever really got to see that I can compete with with some of the best guys. You know, I had a decent little game, you know, uh, that year in that, in that game, too. I'm listen. I I, I lost some time before <laughs> the game started. I, I'm, I watched um the Knicks game back in '97 where you had 23 points in the Garden, and it was oh, yeah. straight pull up jump shot work. Just straight <laughs> that pull up. I'm like, this guy's skill. Like, what what do you think about uh, the way the game's trended today? Like, I feel like watching you. I feel like I'm watching like a lot of guys, a lot of threes and fours. I feel like you could have played a little four today. Um, right. I feel like you could have played. Hey, like with that with that game, like how, how do you feel about the game and the way it's kind of transitioned from what, from what you were playing? Well, well, just put it this way: if you shot twenty threes, that was as a team. Now you got guys shooting twenty threes by themselves, yeah. so it's a whole whole different philosophy of what's going on. Uh, I mean, in today's game, I honestly, because I was a, a decent athlete, and the way they play so free up and down the floor, I think I could have played in this game in this era because you know if you're a decent athlete, you can run. You can pretty much put up some, you know, good numbers. Um, now I think the mid-range game is kind of disappearing, but the great ones still know what it is, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Kawhi Leonard; he he'll, he'll mid-range you all night long. Uh, Demar Derozan, when he gets on fire, he'll mid-range you all night long. You know, you got mm-hmm. Anthony Davis. I mean, come on, and then KD. Oh my God, you know, like how you stop a seven-footer, you know, fifteen-footer when he want to. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the game has changed so much, but uh, I think. If I was in this era where it's, it's not as physical now, I mean, you got to understand too. I mean, like back then, you know, NBA stood for no babies allowed and they meant that, you know, like you went to the hole, you was going to get knocked off. Um, mm-hmm. Now it might, you might get kicked out of the game, suspended for two years if you hit them some too hard, you know, <laughs> like flop. It's sad that we had to put a rule in a game that says, hey, we got to start calling text for flopping, you know, like it's getting to that point, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like today because I, I coach today's game. So I like I like it's an offensive minded game. I was a, I would have enjoyed it because, you know, I like defense. So you don't see too many lockdown defenders as, as usual, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely would have probably like, I tell my mom, like, you could have had me like 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. I could have. I think I could have. <laughs> I think I could have been all right mm-hmm. in this day's lane. The way they running up and down. I mean, like scores mm-hmm. of what, like one thirty-five, <laughs> like all star yep. games. Yeah, so yeah. much money in today's game. <laughs> oh well, we going that. That's a whole. You know, we Charles Barkley <laughs> says that every night on TNT. He said, "Man, my mama had me too soon." I yep. mean, you got guys. I mean, you know, like the minimal. I mean, but that's the blessing of the NBA too. I mean, I can't knock it. I mean, that's the blessing. That's what guys like. The Larry Birds to the Maddie Johnson to the, all these Michael Jordans and Kobe, they paved that way for us to yeah. benefit and refather that. And we should respect that. You know, like when I see a guy, they, I think they were talking about um, what's the center from Utah? Uh, Gobert. Gobert. Gobert, right. You know, everybody's like, oh my God. I was like, but that's the market though. Yeah. The market says, hey, we got to pay him this money. And I'm like, hey, get it, man. Get yep. it because you're never gonna in your life is gonna ever make that type of money again, and you can't get mad at him for doing yep. what he's doing. I mean, you know, I mean, I looked, I remember when Mike Conley signed his hundred million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my god, Mike Conley. I was like, his numbers say, hey, yep. <laughs> yep. his numbers say. I mean, he was in the top 
10 and point guards coming at that time. So, you yep. know, the money is crazy, but that's what we had in today's society. You know, we credit to, like you said, the old guys who did what they supposed to do. That's it. That's it. You know? Yeah, mentioning that is like, I always find it funny. If the team offers me $300 million, <laughs> I'm supposed to be like, yo, I don't deserve that. I'm not going to take it. No. <laughs> like, why are they getting mad at Rudy? Like, yeah, no, you, yeah. <laughs> am it's I going like, to come no, back to them? Like, hey, no. you know, I'm not really averaging 20 right now. No. <laughs> oh, my counter offer, my counter offer is only like 10 million. That's it. That's all I need. No, but it's like real talk. I mean, like, you know, you're not, you'd be a fool, you know, like I was, I think, um, who, who betted on himself? I can't think of the player's name. Somebody bet it on himself, and he ended up kind of getting hurt. And you sitting there like, man, you left $100 million on the table. No, bro, no. I mean, mm. like you said, you're never going to earn that type of money in your life doing anything else. So just take it, you know. And I, and it's no knock to them. I mean, like I tell people all day, I say, y'all worried about the player's contract, right? I just think about this. The player's contract, you got guys making $40 million a year. They're getting paid $40 million a year. So imagine what these people who are owning the team is making a year. Well, we don't even want to go in that conversation, right? You know, like that's the realistic part of it. You know, those guys, they're able to pay somebody, you know, $200, $300 million contract. Trust me, they're making double that, you know. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not dumb people. So they're definitely making double whatever they're giving out. So the NBA is, has thrived. Uh, I think Stern, when he came into the game, I think he did a great job as a commissioner and making this thing global. I mean, I remember when he got the TV deal to go global across the world. You know, we, we start airing, you know, all over across all across the world, like in places we never reached. And, and we were reaping the benefits of that, you know. So, you, hey, man, hands off to the NBA. It's a great machine. And can't, it's like getting mad at Tom Brady for winning number seven, right? <laughs> you can't get mad at that, right? You got to respect it. That's it. <laughs> That's a, t- that's a touchy subject. Uh, yeah, I, I, oh, who, who, who was a Kansas City fan? Which one of you guys? Come on now. Uh, one of my counterparts, I won't say who on the show, uh, to my right, <laughs> was saying, he was saying a couple weeks before the game that Brady was washed. So Amen. the people, our followers on Instagram are having a good time with Greg. Uh, oh, with man. Brady getting that seven. Hey man, hey, it happens, man. It happens. Hey, you, you should thank Matthews for that one too. I think he woke up asleep in Giants. You know, oh, why did you do that? I do not know. And it, and it was ugly from then on. It's so crazy. The, the game went the exact opposite of the way I thought it was going to go because I didn't think the offensive end, the offensive line of the Chiefs were going to were going to struggle that much. I thought that they could kind of scheme around it and make plays regardless. And the ball is a simple sport. You block. If you can't block, you can't play. And if you can't run the ball, you can't play. And the Chiefs didn't do either of those two things. So they got they got beat up real good. And, you know, Brady's – he's a GOAT. There's nothing really like I was like – yeah. you know? I mean, I, I, now I don't give it all the credit to Brady. I'm not going to say that. No, right. I think, I think that defense last year, that defense was great last year. You just had a guy named uh, – what's that guy named in New Orleans now? Played at Florida State. Uh, what's the quarterback? You know, yeah, who kept throwing seven interceptions every game, and now you got a quarterback that knows how to manage, yeah, that clock and that team. That's that's the difference, and that's and that's a credit to 
guys, I try to tell all my young guys, I said, listen, there's not too many times. There's only one rookie I've ever known won a championship and an MVP, and his name was Magic Johnson, right? Now, name me another one, any sport. There's not too many. Usually that team is a veteran team, right? That's why LeBron is so good at what he does. I mean, he's not he's, – he's seen so much, you know. He didn't seen it all, so, you know, he knows how to – you know, dissect the thing. That's why when Michael Jordan did what he did, it's still unbelievable because, like, here's a guy who took two years off and then come back and do another three-peat. Like, wow. like wow, why? why? What happened? Like, how do you do that? But that's because he's, you know, he's serious about what he does. You know, I, that's why you respect champions, you know. Mm-hmm. Going back to college, so four years at Memphis, mm-hmm. we did our research. Y'all barely lost with Memphis. A lot of success with Memphis. What were some of your fondest memories uh, playing playing there outside of, of, like you said, playing in front of friends and family? Man, it was so many. I mean, we, we played some great teams, you know. Um, one, of, one of the greater teams, you know, we always had a rivalry was Arkansas, of course. You know, that's when they won the two nationals. We felt like we were the team to beat them. Uh, that was some great games and great rivalries. Um, man, I think, I think one of the greatest ones was – like, I think my senior year, we were playing uh, Louisville and uh, Larry Finch was just going through some contract disputes or whatever, and everything was going crazy. And we weren't having the greatest year anyway, but we just kind of band together. You know, we didn't lose at home. And in the last game, it was like, hey, we win this game. We might go to the NIT, whatever, whatever. And we played some of the best basketball. I mean, it was so much fun uh, doing that doing that thing. I mean, but we had so many highlights. I mean, I can't even hardly just put one in a bubble, you know, because we had so many great times uh, at the University of Memphis, especially at home. You know, it was it was like, you know, Bob Huggins coming with Cincinnati. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> we, 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 we the, the, uh, the cheering section, right, used to sit behind, especially the student section, used to sit behind the coach's bench and the opposing coach. So every time we scored a bucket, they just throwing confetti all over across the team and everything crazy so i mean like that's that's college basketball for you though you know that's that's what you really miss about the fans being in a college game is those moments like that and um you know like i said i mean i had some some great times and great moments and uh i i love all of them man i, mean, I can't even pick one out one out of hand but of course there's always going to be the one that that hurts the worst is when we got beat by arkansas in the sweet 16 mm. uh if we feel like if we win this game, we the national champions that year. So that's about the greatest pain we felt as far as as a team. So, how was it being a part of the big dance? Like a lot of players don't even get that chance to play in the NCAA tourney, March Madness. How was it to play in it? And you played in it twice. Yeah, it was it was it was fantastic, man. I mean, it was just like you know introducing you to. This is the professional side of the game now, you know, because you got all this media coming and you got questions and these bright lights are on you and 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 everybody's like, you know, it's like, hey, win or go home attitude, you know. So that was like the craziest part about it. And it was so much fun because it was so intense because we knew everything was always going to be magnified. You know, you throw the ball away. Oh, my God, you turn turtle. You know, so it only had like your first turnover in like 20 minutes or something like, oh, you turn it over you know, but if you make a big shot, it was just so emotional. I mean, who then, as a kid growing up, wanted to be a part of that last song? You know, that that last song, that moment song. I was like, 
Even though we lost a couple times, but we was watching it just to watch and say, okay, yeah, we made it, y'all. We got our cut in there, you know. So it was just a great overall experience, man. You know, and then we got, I got to meet some, you know, like some celebrities at the time too, you know, because they were, you know, fans coming in. Like Woody Harrison uh, used to come come to the games, you know, and uh, I think uh, I forget the lady who was at Kentucky. um, She was there. Yes. That's yes, you already see that. Look at you, that boy on his thing right there. <laughs> so you know you get to meet, you know you can you get to meet all these superstars, you know, and uh, you know it's crazy, you know, and it, it's just like a, it's like a you know, introduction to the, to the professional world of basketball, you know, for these guys, for for us, period, you know. That's and and then you got to think at that time, the nation, gets to see who you are. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you know your neighborhood. You know Tennessee, Mississippi. You know they knew who Memphis was, but then you get to go see California. They get to say, "Man, who is this team right here?" You know, so it was a great, great experience. That's that's incredible. I mean, I, <laughs> you can you can only imagine. You've done a lot of things, a lot of amazing things. That again, I I, I love having guests on that played in the league. Obviously, I didn't. I never ever thought I'd be talking to people. Who, in the league, like it's wild. The person who dreamed about playing in the league and didn't get there, it's incredible. Obviously, it's incredible to talk people who did it. So, um, you know, fast forwarding to the NBA, right? I mean, so many questions. I guess the first one for you would be, um, what was draft night like, right? I, I, you know, second round draft pick, like how that all, how that all turned out for you? Well, of course, I, I was nervous and excited at the same time, and you know, just being around family at the time and, and didn't know like what was going to happen. You know, I mean, we had ideals, but you just didn't know, you know, I knew I wasn't the first round draft pick, but I had, I went to, man, I mean, I probably went to 25 workouts because I was like, Hey, they call, I'm going, you know what I'm saying? And, um, cause I wanted it, you know, and, and just being there that night, I didn't know what was to happen. I mean, it was to the point that like, I was just like, you, you can see the nervousness in my face and, you know, you're trying to play it cool, you know. <laughs> Every time a phone ring, you, who, who's that? Who's that? You know? <laughs> I'm just being honest, you know. You just, it's like, you know, and, and that's, what it, that's what it was. But, man, when I got the call, I mean, tears of joy, you know. Uh, it was a big accomplishment, you know. It was just, you know, to see your family so proud of you, you know, especially moms and pops and sister and all those. They were just so happy for me and, it was just crazy, you know, um, that night. So I, and, and, and people's like, what did you do? I said, well, I stayed at home and asked my mom's cooking, you know, that's it. That was my celebration. Just, just I, I mean, she made my favorite meal. <laughs> yeah, I had my favorite dessert and a big glass of Kool-Aid. And that was, that was my highlight. And it was cause it was, I was just so relieved to say, Hey, I can, I got a chance to go play. And like you said, it's, it's only about what, like you said, that 0.99% they get an opportunity and try to say they played it. And so it was just a, a great point. And then the next day, uh, she was like, what are you going to go do? I was like, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to work out. Like, it was, I was like, I just got on a mission because I wanted to play so bad. Yeah. The word, they say the work always starts when you when you get drafted. That's where it all starts, right? I mean, Oh, for sure. You know, to play at that yeah. level. Yeah, I mean, like, like you got to know as a second round draft pick, you're not guaranteed like those first rounders. You know, those guys get like a little bit more opportunity. And this is, and this is the truth about the game. You know, people don't understand it. Like, usually those probably top twenty picks probably the only ones going to really probably play. 
you know, you get lucky about some second rounders. You know, you might find a Draymond Green who just ended up having a great career. So he was a second round guy, but he ended up got the right team, got the right fit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it happens, you know, I, I had to be, you know, patient about when I first came into that. I mean, I was just I had to be patient about what was going as far as playing time, just making a roster. You know, there's a lot of narrow record things, but I was making sure, hey, it's not going to be because I'm not a shape. That's not going to be the reason why I don't make this team. So going through that process, you went to 25 different workouts. <laughs> Did you think that the Cavs was going to be the team that drafted you? No, I really didn't. I really thought Seattle was going to get me because I, I ended up working out for them more than twice. Like, you know, I went to the first one, then they came back and gave me to the second one. But, you know, when I went to the Cavs workout, it was the easiest workout I ever had in my life. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, it was like, this is the bomb right here. Like, okay. Like, well, they not going to pick me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, know how you, you know how you go somewhere, you you, win, you know, you, you like, like they finna dog you out in this workout, make you run, make you do all this crazy stuff. And they were just like, all right, let's go do the layup drills. All right, shoot a couple jump shots. All right, all right, everybody go home. I'm like, what? Like, we're not going to play? Like, what's going on? It was it was that easy. So I I really didn't have the idea. I mean, I thought it was going to either be Seattle. Um, I thought it was going to be Utah. And um, I want to say Phoenix at the time that I thought I was going to probably get a chance to be around. But, you know, hey, things happen. Weirdest things happen. I'm not mad at it. Wayne Emery was one of the greatest guys I ever met in my life. So I tell him thank you every time I see him. <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's that's crazy. I've never heard that story where it was layups, a couple jump shots, and yeah, that was it. And that was it. I mean, like literally, that was the workout. Like I tell people that story all the time. They'd be like, no, when I was like, yo, dude, that was it. Cause like, you know, you when when you go to workouts, you 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 like, okay, I'll make sure I got my breakfast in, got my fluids on me, I'm full, all right, I'm ready to work. Next thing you know, it's like, all right. We out of here. I'm like, oh, this is like 30 minutes. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it was crazy, but hey, great place. I ended up being there for four or five years. So, yeah, and, and within those four or five years, and especially that first year, right? Like, the rookie year is a year you probably never you never forget. I have to imagine, right? That first year in the league. What was that welcome to NBA moment for you? Well, this is when I knew I was in the NBA. All right, we were playing. Uh, Minnesota in our preseason game, right? And Kevin Garnett was like, you know, he's the man, right? You know, Starberry, all that, that roster, Tom Goody, right? So coach looks at me and says, all right, you got Kevin Garnett. I'm like, yo, what? Like, brother, dude, seven feet tall. I'm like, I'm not guarding him. I'm like, you're you, you making a mistake. He's like, no, you got Kevin Garnett. So I got out there. I'm like, you know, I'm like excited, whatever. And he gets the ball, you know, and he makes one hard jab. I kind of dipped that way. And, and, you know, usually in college, you can kind of recover, you know, <laughs> you recover back. But then he's seven feet. <laughs> he took off. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, yo, and he, he dunked that ball so hard. I was like, yeah, this is the NBA for real, for real now. <laughs> like, this is not. And, 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 and that's, that's the part people don't understand, like, how talented mm-hmm. every person on that roster I'm talking about to the last dude on the bench, how talented every person is on that roster um, in the NBA is. So that was my, like, hey, I got to bring my game day. But then the, the coolest part was when we played in New Jersey. And uh, 
we were playing New Jersey and I got on the floor and um, I made a move and I, I dunked the ball. I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, hey, that was kind of fun. So the next play, <laughs> I didn't care what was going on. I'm trying to dunk this thing again. And that's kind of like, hey, you know, I'm in the NBA. I had to get, you know, get over the, you know, the, the, the lights, the cameras, and who I'm playing, you know. But my, my greatest moment, though, was when we played Chicago the first time, right? Come on, man, this is this is Michael Jordan you're playing against right here, right? Oh, you know, I'm like a little kid. Yo, Mike. <laughs> Yo, Mike, can I get you an autograph? <laughs> I wouldn't study none of that stuff, man. I'm like, autograph. Mike looked at me like, what? I was like, yeah, I want your autograph after the game, bro. <laughs> like, I turned into a straight groupie. <laughs> but, hey, it's Mike. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I'm this is Mike. So, but that was that was fun. I mean, and it was cool. Now, this is a, a unique situation that happened in Cleveland. And it was me, Brevin, Derek Anderson, four rookies. So, we all played as rookies. And it was cool to do that together because, you know, Sometimes you can be the lonely rookie on the team, but when you got four four rookies going through the same experience, it was kind of cool to grow up with those guys. Yeah. Yeah. How was that to that rookie year? Uh, we asked Brevin this because just looking at that rookie year, nobody expected Cleveland to make the playoffs that year. Sean Kent was sitting over there. They like, oh, it's just gonna be Sean Kent and these young boys. They're not gonna get in the playoffs. They'll probably be in the lottery drafting another. Right. And y'all guys shocked the whole NBA. Like, so how was that? Your rookie year, you come right into the NBA and you in the playoffs. Man, listen, we, Mike Fratello was one of the greatest at motivating guys to get more out of what we were doing. You know, like we did, like he squeezed, you know, every ounce of talent we had. Uh, Shadronis was unbelievable. Derek was unbelievable. Brevin was unbelievable. But then to add it with Sean, you know, we had to learn fast. You know, it was like learn fast, you know. And um, when we had Wesley Person, who was, you know, another veteran shooter we had. And then and it, we bought into it. Mike had, you know, bought into this rotation of playing like eight to ten guys. And and it worked. And it worked. And we, and we just kept believing it. We kept we, – well, the biggest thing we did was just kind of turn that noise out. We won paying attention to about, hey, we rookies and all this and all that. It's like, hey, man, we got to play. And um, we all had something to prove, you know. Uh, and it was just a great experience that, that first year. I mean, Sean had an unbelievable year. You know, he was an all-star that year. Uh, he, he came ready to play because he had something to prove himself. Because I think coming from Seattle, you know, he was demanding the big contract. And he's like, oh, he don't deserve it. So he had a chip on his shoulder, too. And then to take four guys under our wings and, and turn that thing around and get in the playoffs was so big for us. But, you know, you can't you can't phantom that we were going to do that that year, but we did. And then we, we still take credit for that one. That, that's incredible. I mean, and, and hearing Brevin run through that year and you run through that year, you know, it, it's incredible to do that as rookies. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen often. Like you mentioned, no. it's not something that you just walk in the league and experience. Um, how did playing with John Kemp raise your game, right? Like, what did you, especially being a, a forward, right? Like, right. <laughs> Probably regarding them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, well, what, what happened was, you know, it was a blessing to have a guy who drew double teams, you know, mm. you know, to have an all-star. So it, it was like, okay, we got to help him out. We got to be able to make open shots. We got to be able to, 
you know, get the ball to him in certain needs and and do things. And he was, you know, people underestimated how skilled Sean was as far as a post player. You know, they they used to the dunking, they was used to the highlight, but footwork, man, this guy, I mean, he had some stuff with him, man. You know, he knew how to play. And, um, you know, like what we were doing, we were just improving ourselves. We were hungry uh, because we knew that we had a lot of responsibility you know, as rookies, because we didn't know, you know, honestly, we didn't know how much playing time we was going to play. We didn't know if Derrick Anderson was going to be another point guard. We didn't figure out, but we found it. We found a niche. And and Mike Rotella, credit to him and the coaching staff that year, they, and we bought into it. No egos, uh, you know, everybody just bonded to their role. You know, I knew I was, when I was out there, I, I knew I was the prime defender. You know, that was my role. I didn't go in there and say, oh, coach, I ain't getting no shots. Didn't even ask for shots sometimes. I, I, I remember playing, in Miami, played 42 minutes and took three shots. Jeez. But guess what? I got a win. That's right. So who cared? You know what I'm saying? Nobody looked at that. Oh, he played 42 minutes and take a shot. No, he played 42 minutes and got a win that night. So, you know, it was, it was it's hard to put aside egos sometimes at that level. Let's be realistic. You know, we, we see it every day, even with some of the superstars, you know, we see it. But if you the, if you're willing to sacrifice to win, that's that what makes you a great team to understand this is your job. This is your job. I mean, like when you're going to play with like, say, we're just going to use LeBron. Like, if you notice LeBron always say, oh, this is not my team. What do you always say? You know, man, this is Anthony Davis team. Mm-hmm. He know what he playing. But everybody know who, who team it is. But we're going to make sure he he's happy because that's his role. And everybody else just got to play their position. And that's what makes great teams good. Yeah. So you mentioned that. I just want to ask, where did that mentality come from? Because I'm sure, especially as a coach, you see it in this generation. 42 minutes, three shots, and a win in this generation. Yo, you trash. You ain't getting no buckets. (laughs) (laughs) Where did that mentality come from for you? First of all, you got to know who you are and what's your job. You know, you got to accept that. I knew who I was. I knew I was the defender. I knew I had to do things and maybe sacrifice a lot of things that I could, but I knew the next night I might get 20 shots and and hit 20 points, you know? So it wasn't about that. It was about the win more than it was then. And it's, and you tell kids all the time, like I take, if you want an award, say you want to be on a first team or a second team or whatever, the losing team, that guy can average, say you got the losing team, right? He can average 25, 30 points a night. Why he never makes the first team, second team? Why? because he's not winning. Everybody wants a winner. So that's why you can see, I, I tell people always about, I always talk about Shane Battier, mm. the ultimate role player, the ultimate role player. I mean, what he averages, eight points for a whole career in the NBA, but he got the rings though, did he? <laughs> so that, I mean, it's always a job. Uh, let's go Bruce Bowen for, Sacramento, yeah. for San Antonio. Ultimate role, couldn't, all he do is shoot corner threes. But I'm gonna D up Kobe. I'm gonna get Kobe might hit 50 on me tonight. But I got this ring though. So I mean, it's it's more it's more about maturity. And I think I, I learned that even when I was at Memphis a little bit because I knew I played with a guy like Lorenzo Wright and David Vaughn who were real good bigs at the time. So I had to understand that they're gonna get their points too. And I have to do whenever I get my chance to get do my part too. And team basketball was always stressed to me. 
even growing up through high school, through Memphis. And so when I got to the NBA, it was rare, but it was great that, like I said, we had four rookies and those guys came from winning programs. So they understood the importance of doing what you're supposed to do. You know, it's hard to sell that these days. Cause like you said, man, you, you, man, what did you mean is you don't shoot. You got to be mature enough to know that, that, that's not important because I'm getting these wins. So, you know, that's, that's the hard part about it, but it took a while to accept it when I was kind of coming up and I had to figure out what I did well. I knew I was a great finisher, a great defender and had a decent mid range jump shot. So I just made sure I kept my strength strong and whatever I needed to work on, I tried to work on during the off season, but my strong points, I made sure I did that every night. That's a common thing that we hear. Every guest that we had that actually played at a high level, whatever sport they say, the key to success for the teams and individual players is knowing your role and playing your role. Every guest, it comes up somewhere <laughs> in their response at some point. Yo, it's just about knowing your role, man. Oh, it's just about knowing your role. Play your role. Every yeah. guest. Exactly. You can't have a lot of Chiefs on the team, right? Nope. Nope. You know what I'm saying? You can't have a lot of Chiefs. Yeah. You got to have some. You know, got to have some foot soldiers sometimes, you know, and those are, they don't, but, and they got to understand they just are in more important just as the chief on the team. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I do give credit to a guy like Tom Brady. I tell, we were talking about this. I know I'm bringing up wounds over there to that guy, but Tom Brady for years used to sacrifice his contract to keep players around him. That's a winner right there. Hey, man, listen, I know I get that money back. You know, I mean, most guys won't do that because, like you said, you can, but he was like, hey, I'm trying to do something bigger than, I mean, like, dude, he got the most Super Bowl wins over any franchise in the NFL now. You think he going to ever worry about a check? No, never, you know, so it worked out for him. So that's the team, the ultimate sacrifice for, for as a teammate to understand that, um, you know, I got to think bigger than myself. If you got team, if you got a team and guys thinking that way, you got something special. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You, you, that's a that's a winner, and it takes a certain mentality to be a winner. But and you know, we talked about the development of that mentality and how how you were able to get that through playing in the NBA too, right? But how has that affected your philosophy when it comes to recruiting players now, right? Bringing it back to right now. Well, you know, you try to look for good character guys, uh, and again, I recruit when I go look at kids. I, I look at kids who understand their, you know on a good team. I go, first of all, I'm like, okay, what's your team record? Okay, you're 24 and five. Okay, I'm going to watch you, see what this team is about, you know? And I watch what they're about because if that guy understands that he's doing his job, that's that's going to help me out. He knows what basketball is about. You know what I'm saying? Then if I can see him being competitive and unselfish, and what I mean by unselfish, I'm running the floor because I'm supposed to run the floor. I'm not running it because I, I think I'm going to get the ball. No, I'm running it every time because this is what I'm supposed to do. Man, that, that right there just took it up two more notches, you know. And then let's be honest, if he got a skill set, that just that's the cake, you know what I'm saying? And that's what makes the difference between who he is. And uh, so it, it, it comes to that point. And, and you got to know that kids do feel that way. Like every kid, especially at the love I am, Every kid wants to be D1. Everybody wants to go to the big school. And it's hard to come in there and say, hey, look, maybe you need to come here. This is where you're at. And that becomes a pride thing. So you got to know how to talk to these kids in that situation because you don't want to break their ego. 
in a sense, but at the same time, you want them to understand reality. This is might be where you need to be at. And then I can say, hey, I can help you get to where you maybe want to go, you know, and that's hard to sell sometimes, but, yeah. you know, that's what I have to sell, you know, and then dealing with these young kids today, you know, you deal with, you know, let's be realistic, you got mom, pop, uncle, brother, Twitter, Facebook, social media, telling them they the greatest since Kool-Aid. But the reality is he just maybe be average. And mm-hmm. sometimes they can't accept that. You know, that's the tough part about it. But you try to teach kids, you try to be as positive as you can when you're approaching these young men. And and hopefully you got the ones that are good kids, you know. And, um, and it's rare when you find those kids. You know, some of them, you know, they kind of like, ah, oh, you might see them two years from now and you might get them then. But most of the time it's you know, you, you, you pick him out, you see what kind of, you know, first thing I want to know is what kind of character he has. You know, I try to tell these young men, be careful with social media because that's, you know, the first thing I want is, I mean, I'm like, the, I'm like your job application now. I want your social media page. <laughs> and like, oh, why you want that? I just want it. Let me have it. I might sit, sit there for 30 minutes and just watch and see what you got going on because that's what they're doing. You know, you, you, you put your life on this social media and the wrong thing get out there. I might say, okay, I can't deal with that kid. This is what he's doing in his free time. And that hurts him. You know, I try to warn these kids about that stuff. And 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 because the coach don't want to have to worry about off field things. You know, I should I should trust you to go to class. I should trust you to do the right things in in, in the public. And, and and you know, when you're in your private time, just make sure it's your private time. And that's what I try to stress. But recruiting these young men, you try to you try to get quality guys. It's hard, but you try to. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like you put in the quality, the, the quality of the of the man, of the of the young man. Right. And the skill set and the kind of player they are because obviously, right, they're representing the brand, they're representing you and the school. So it's, it's, a, it's a bigger deal there. And I think that's illuminating because we have a lot of younger listeners and uh, people that tune into the show that want to play at a high level, right, and want right. to know what it takes to play and what coaches are looking for when they come in that in those stands and watch to play basketball. And so that, that's really illuminating for them, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, we know the stats. We're going to see the stats first anyway. Mm -hmm. But now what's going to separate you from the 200,000 kids who play your same position Uh. that I'm wanting to invest in you um, to come to my school? I mean, you know, that's one thing they got to understand. It's this is just like you guys trying to, you know, sell marketing or whatever. Y'all got competitors, you know, what's going to what's going to separate your your show to the next show so same thing with basketball I, I mean I'm gonna look at 25 guards in one day probably but what's going to separate you from these 25 people I'm looking at you know when I'm doing this job interview basically with you so you know those are the things you got to think about you know when, you, when you're approaching it approaching that way so you know a lot of guys don't they get engulfed into the just what they know what's around them you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the best player right here. Okay, but it's this ocean thing out here. <laughs> it's some whales and sharks and it's some big people things out here. Uh, you think you're ready for that? You know, and, and that's the reality, the reality of it all. Transitioning back to your career, right? So how did you end up going overseas? What was that process um, of choosing to go overseas? Well, you know, I, I played in a couple training camps, you know, and it's tough. You know, when you get started playing the training camps, you, you know, you pray you can get on that roster. Uh, 
And at that time, it wasn't the, the G League or anything to fall, fall back to. You, you understand what I'm saying? So the next best option was going overseas. And you had to make sure you played in the FIBA sanctioned leagues over there. Um, it was different, um, but it, was, it wasn't bad. It was very, very eye-opening to see different cultures, different cities, different things. Um, but when I went over there, I had a great time. I mean, I wasn't bad at it. Uh, played in some great leagues, had some great times. And, you know, it was a little stress, a little, a little easier on the body, to be honest with you. It was like playing college again. <laughs> you know, you just playing on Tuesday and Friday. Oh, man, I got you, bro. I mean, you know, and people don't understand, man, you play in the NBA, man, you might play four games in one week. Then the next week you got another three, four games, and then you're traveling all over the place. So it's kind of tough. But um, going overseas was something that, you know, I mean, I wanted to continue to play basketball. I felt like I still had basketball in my life, and, and I wanted to get, continue to play it. Um, so that's what I chose to do. I didn't want to go play in the CBA, kind of grind it around. You know, everybody wants to earn money too, you know. Um, so that's why I chose to go do that so I can get the best bang for the value of what I thought I can offer. So that's why I went over there to play. And then the NBDL came back. So I used to play overseas a little bit then finish off in the NBDL and try to see if I get a 10 day or something like that. I mean, that's that's incredible. And when you talk about playing overseas and the difference in the, the game, it's, it's not even just like the, the level the level of play. That level plays is incredibly high everywhere. I think people kind of take that for granted, right? But this is a oh, different yeah. style, right? With the style I know now is different. You know, when I watch European basketball versus basketball in the league, it, there's some more similarities now. But I think even 10 years ago, those guys were out there heaving up threes before the NBA. Hey, hey, look, look here. Listen, my first game, I'm like looking at this dude. I'm like, oh, he a post player. It's like, oh no, he a shooter. I'm like, dude, he's seven feet. He's like, no, he a shooter. Right. Like what? It's you know, and that's that's when you realize, like, okay, this is a different game. You know what I'm saying? And and the three ball, like, that's when I really got introduced to the transition three ball when I was overseas because it was so big. Like we, we used to practice. We used to we used to play. You know, say we just playing three on two drill, whatever. And I'm used to with three on two drill. I'm trying to get to the cup, you know, do whatever, get a finger roll. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Run to the corner, shoot the three. He's like, for real? He's like, that's what we do. He's like, we run to the corner and shoot the three. And that's what we started doing. And then before you knew it, I, was, I mean, I was taking like six threes or seven threes a game just in transition. Yep. They were pacing, facing before that even came to the NBA. That was the thing there first. And it's so yes. crazy that even like, Years and years and years ago, they were starting that. Their big men are so skilled, and there's it, a heavy emphasis on the skill part of their game out there, right? And so I, yeah. I always try to give European players that love because it, it's it's truly remarkable um, the, how they develop their young talent. Like guy like Luka Doncic who comes to the NBA as a rookie, that guy was not a rookie. <laughs> no, he'd been it's playing that. pro ball for five years. <laughs> like people like, like, oh, he was a rookie. I was like, no. No man, but him doing what he did, it was no. It came as no surprise to people who came to, who watched him. And I watched a couple of his clips, just like I was curious who he was. And everyone was talking about him in the draft process, and seeing his his bag was deep, and it, it was it was crazy. Yeah, a teenager, Not right? And, and see, that's another thing. I think that was a, a big advantage for some people overseas too. You know, you we had. I remember having a seventeen year old guy on my on my pro league team playing with me. Like this kid was seventeen. And, you know, here I am about 33, 34. And he's, I'm like, you 17? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay. Like, and that's what they did. They played them young. And I think that that was kind of the curve that we 
as Americans didn't do. I, I think y'all, I, I mean, do y'all remember when, was it Carlos, the Spain team beat the USA team yeah. that one year? Yeah. You remember that, right? And people's like, they were so shocked. And I was like, I wasn't even shocked at it because of the skill set those guys were playing. Like you said, they wasn't used to that. And you got to think the rules were a little different. Mm -hmm. I mean, not the rules were different, different, but the style of play was different. We, they, mm -hmm. And they were ready for whatever, you know, to do. So it, it, it wasn't shocking because like overseas basketball, uh, people don't realize like Mike D'Antoni had been coaching over there for years yep. before he even came to the NBA. And they was like, oh, where you coming with this crazy? It's like, dude, he been doing And he won championships with it, though. Yep. People don't realize that. Yep. Pace and space. Big, big shot within the first seven, first seven seconds of the shot clock. All that yes. stuff over here. He just, he just brought it here. And and exactly. that Phoenix team had a lot of success. They didn't win a championship, but they had a lot of success. Exactly. exactly. It made Steve Nash win two MVPs, though. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. <laughs> Dan Tony. You know? D'Antoni, mm -hmm. a lot of that goes to D'Antoni in the way that he led exactly. before. Yeah, and something definitely, you mentioned. Definitely over. Say again? Like, yeah, something you mentioned too with the 17-year-old the playing. That just reminds me of Kobe and his documentary, how he came to that decision to go to the league. He's like, if I really want to be the best, why not go play with the best and learn from them? And they do right. that overseas. Hey, if this, this is what you want to do, this is your career, then go start it. 17, exactly. 16, go play with these grown men, get better, learn the game. And then if they want to go to America, by the time a Luca comes over at 21, that joke was a seasoned vet, basically. He basically was. Exactly right. You're 100% right. I mean, like, that's a big advantage. That is a big advantage. That's why, you know, you see those guys take off so fast when they get here. You know, they, they just – they ready to play right away. Um, I mean, if you see the, the increase in numbers in the overseas players now, I mean, like, you know, when I first came to the league, you know, it was probably, you know, at three, four, five percent. I mean, I think that has jumped up about 20 percent now, maybe more. You know, it's just some, it's some names out there. I'd be like, okay, how you pronounce that? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, there's some guys who just snuck over here, man, that people don't pay attention to, you know, that, that they know. And like I said, the world is so connected now, especially with the Internet, with what's going on. Scouts are able to see way more players than what they were able to see back in our days too, because of what's going on. And, uh, you know, I think that the, the Chinese league that, that uh, Yao Ming started over there is mm -hmm. huge. I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Like it's, it's like the baby NBA, you know, for guys. And you get guys who would get another contract because they played in this league and come back to America and play the NBA again. So it, it, overseas basketball is, is, it's one of the best, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I'm not going to take it away from them. I, mean, I still going to cheer for my American basketball, but oh, yeah. you know, you got to give them props of where props at, because they have changed the game. They changed the game to allow the three ball to be shot by the center. I mean, yeah. once in the games, you're going to see Shaq come down and pull up a tray ball, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but in today's game, you never know. You never know. Shaq maybe would have tried one this year, you know, if he was playing no. his game. You never know, you know, I mean, look at Jewel and B. We, they have to beg him to go post up now. You know, I'm glad <laughs> Doc Rivers is making him do it, but, you know, but that's crazy to think about, though. I mean, you see his game. He's shooting threes. He's facing up. He's spinning off people. You know, it's a whole different ball game now. Yep, and another thing is the high school you're, you're seeing now with the high school players and, and you know, the, the most the biggest example is LaMelo Ball, you know, taking that route going to, from high school to overseas then to the league. I think right. that's the reason that we feel a lot more. Because I, and, and you see the maturity, the way his games matured from when he was a freshman at Chino Hills, jacking up threes left and right, right? And 
people right. knew he was good, but knew he was talented, but didn't take him that seriously. And now the growth of the game, like I, I think I, I give a lot of credit to his time overseas. I think it forced him to grow up. Like and and some kid can't handle that, but I think it's you're gonna start. We're gonna start seeing a lot more of it. So I mean, I, I don't know what your take is on that, but as a college coach, right, losing some of this talent that overseas pipeline. Yeah, I mean, like you know, it, it's 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 scary. I mean, I think the NBA woke up to it. I mean, I don't know if y'all paid attention, but with Jalen Green, what did he do? He, he signed a contract to go play in the G League, G League. you know, instead of going to prep school or anything. So the NBA is catching on to what's going on. It's like, hey, let's not let our talent go over here. Let's mm-hmm. groom them ourselves and mm-hmm. let's just make this team. And, and that's a big step forward into yeah. the direction of what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? So instead of, you know, Lamar Ball going to play in Australia, he would have been playing for this G League team and getting groomed and getting ready to go play in the NBA. Uh, I think they're catching on to all those things, you know, yeah. in, in, a, in, a, in a very concept, you know, because let's be honest, man. Like, yeah, do you want a kid to get groomed? Do you think some of these young men are not ready for it? Yeah, but I, it's not even – I only think it's more about the skills. It's just more about what's going on with the NBA, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, the wear and tear, the immaturity of what they might do with their free time, you know, things like that. They're going to teach them how to be a professional. That's yep. the biggest thing. And, and people are like, well, you know, that's easy. No, it's not. It's not as easy as you think it is, you know. Um, let me give you $100 million and then say go do what you want to do might do some crazy things you know but uh <laughs> but that's a smart move on them to to keep our talent here and groom them and let them play against these g league guys who are got some veteran guys on the team and they get the experience and if they're good enough they just you know like i think Jalen green will probably be a top five pick next year in the nba draft yes, you know easily yes, you know sorry totally so, i mean it's, it's just smart yeah i mean so why let them go play in australia <laughs> you know yeah and, and it's also smart from a business perspective for the nba it's equitable for them the g league's going to be must see tv i'm going to watch g league games this year because Dylan right. um isaiah todd uh precious yeah. uh i'm forgetting his name man he's, he's from just oh jonathan kaminga he's in mm-hmm. a, you guys are all gonna be playing on one team so i'm gonna tune in and, and so yeah it, it's brilliant on their end because they're making their, their another Another branch of their business equitable. So, well, I mean, but the way the thing about baseball, they've been doing it for years. Farm leagues, you know, yep. you got single A, triple A, double A, you name it. And then you know, like, who is this dude pitching right here? Where he come from? Oh, he been there. He been in farm league for ten years. He just didn't never know about him. So, I think it's a smart move. I think it keeps our keeps the talent here and keeps it, it makes the NBA better. Because let's be honest, because at one point in time, everybody was like, oh, the NBA is not that fun to watch regular season. But now they're getting better. I mean, you see the skill set getting better. You see the games getting better. You see the intensity getting better. It's more value in the game uh, than it was, once was, you know. And you have to appreciate what they're doing to make it a better game. So now these young, talented guys won't fizz out in a year or two. They'll probably stay about eight, nine, ten years, you know. Yep. All right, last, last one before we transition. We thank you again for hopping on with us. One piece of advice you give to a young player trying to play at that D1, D2, D3, just trying to play in college, what's one piece of advice you'd give them? Well, the best advice I always say, um, a great player will do all things that's necessary. And that means the school work, the hard work, because the basketball is the easy work. Um, you have to be able to willing to sacrifice some things, you know. Hey, I can't go to the party this Friday, you know. Uh, I got to work out because I got I'm, I got a big game coming up and things. And just being 
and being humble a little bit, you know, being being humble about yourself, being a meek person, uh, trying to have high character, that helps a whole lot, you know, and also just enjoying the game as much as possible and play the game. And, you know, all things come in due time. You know, I think in today's society, we are a microwave society, we want it right now. Mm-hmm. I think we should take time and just enjoy the growth and the process. And when you're able to do that, I think that helps a whole lot because everybody's path is different. You know, everybody's path is different. So you have to be real, real with yourself and see where you're at. I can definitely say that's something that you can use across the board, the enjoying the process, that the journey is the part that's actually the enjoyment, not getting to the mountaintop. How you right. get there is so important. I, I can speak for me and our generation. We focus so much on that end goal and totally take for granted all the things that's happening leading up to that, and you don't even appreciate it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And just enjoy. Like I appreciate now. I'm. I'm I guess I'm real older now, so <laughs> I appreciate a lot of more things. You know, the simple things. I mean, even playing overseas made me appreciate even more about a lot of more different things in life. You know, uh, just spending time with families and friends and kids and all that stuff. So, and now I get to. I you know the the cool part is I get to pass it on to my son. That's that's been a real good joy. Um, you know, he'll call with some frustration, things, something nice, and I'll be like, "Hey, hey, listen, 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 calm down. Let's 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 deep breath. Let's let's watch a game or something together and see what you're talking about." You know, and that's the maturity. I I hope I can get the solid advice I can give them uh, about it. You know, because you know we do tend to, like I said, want it right now. Oh, I want it right now, and you, you know, you just have to enjoy, like I said, enjoy the moment because you're never gonna. I think the best time for any young man is really college. I really do. I think it's the best time. So I'm not knocking guys who can go play straight to the NBA. I'm, I really am not. I hope they can do that. But if I'm a young man and I have the opportunity to experience college life, like I was so proud of what Zion did because he got the chance to experience college life. And he was he's going to appreciate that when he's older. I mean, he was really going to be like, yo, I had a great time playing at Duke. And that's that was the thing people got to understand. College life is very important. I think it's to me is very important because it, you're trying to find out who you are as a person, and that's when you really find out who you are as a person. I think during college. Yeah, that's something key. Uh, we're going transition, but mentioning Kobe again, he mentioned that rookie year he would drive past UCLA like, "Yo, should I have gone to college? Should I have done this?" Especially right. when you get to the when you get into the league, a lot of times the rookies don't get that same amount of playing time or that they're not the man on that team. So it's a very, it's, it's a learning process. It's a learning curve. There's very few players that you have that's like LeBron from day one. Here's the keys. Exactly. Exactly. Even Kobe didn't get the keys from day one. I tell people that all the time. I say, y'all do realize Kobe was coming off the bench his first year, right? Like, no, he wasn't. I was like, yes. Some of these guys don't really do their history when they talk basketball. So I just go like, oh, they don't know better. I know. They, they just like, oh, they don't know better. I just go like, all right. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, like you said, that, 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 those, those, it's, a, it's a blessing to be able to play. Like I tell people all the time, it's like my, the first 25 games, I was sitting on the sideline, you know, and when they called my name, I was just ready to play. And it just happened to be 
that I did well enough to get to the starting point, you know? Yeah. Transitioning to our With the Quickness segment, some rapid fire questions, whatever comes to your mind. First one, what's your go-to meal? My go-to meal? Oh my God, fried chicken, collard greens, and yams. You know, I'm a country boy. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. And that's a perfect transition to the next question, Greg. I haven't even had dinner yet, so that made my mouth water a little bit. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the, uh, my next question is, so I'm, have you had the Popeye's chicken sandwich yet, out of curiosity? I know. I try to stay away from fast food. I have not tried the Popeye's. Right. And, I, and I didn't understand why people was going crazy. I was like, dude, it's chicken on bread, yo. Like, are y'all serious? Like, my mama chicken better than that. <laughs> First of all, you're no. right. You're right. You're definitely right. Your mom, your mom's food's always better. I, I, I'm a smart yeah. man, sensible man. Let me tell you something, though. That, that chicken sandwich is magic. It's fire. It's fire, huh? I need to try. <laughs> Well, you gotta think. At, at my age, man, we're trying to stay young, man. So we got we can't eat that no more. I remember, <laughs> I remember I used to eat a pizza, and it wouldn't bother me at all. I eat one slice now; it's, it's gonna be problems at night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh my god, like how did that? Oh my, am I dying? You know? <laughs> nah, smart. My pops be going through that sometimes himself. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta watch what we eat, man. We we ain't got that same stomach, man. Gotta yeah, watch. I, re I remember one time my pops cooked spaghetti and he started adding sugar. I'm like, yo, what you adding sugar to it for? That's for the heartburn. I said, oh no. Nah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Hey, hey, he know you. I like your pops. He know what's up. <laughs> <laughs> he know what's up. Oh man, next one. So, what type of music do you listen to? Like, what's your favorite artist that you listen to now? Well, you know, I'm still old school, man. I'm still like a, you know, 90s, 80s baby rap guy. So I listen to a lot of that. But today's music, though, I know how I've been. I've been on that J. Cole guy. You know, I like J. Cole. Um, I kind of like him. I can't get with these young cats too much, but I have to listen to it so I can know what the hell is going on because the team is listening to it. So I guess I, I guess I don't know. I uh, see so we we're. Around here, I guess it's uh, Money Bag Yo. Is that one of the guys' names? So I like him. He's from Memphis, so you know I, I rock with Money Bag Yo. We just you know, talked about him last night. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. yeah Money Bag Yo. Go, he gonna get it. You know, so there it is. You know, I, I know his music, and I'm a young dog. Okay, now I, I will. I know who Young Dolph is. I do like Young Dolph. Okay. Uh, I, like I, right. I like his song. Yeah, yeah. That's that's right. Tennessee man. Tennessee man. Yeah, I'm gonna represent that Memphis man. You know, all day, every day. <laughs> you know, when I when I came when I came into the league, you know, I was listening to number eight ball MJG and three six mafia. You know, it wasn't nothing else playing. <laughs> what was your toughest matchup in the NBA? I'm gonna say when Glenn Rice was in Charlotte, mm. he was mm. a beast. He was mm. a beast. I mean, they had a good time. They had Vlade Divac, Anthony Mason. I mean, they had a, they had a squad, and uh, I caught him when he was like on his on his game, like he can play. Uh, Glenn Rice was a beast. I mean, he can he's a six eight shooter, you know, just all around good ball player. Give me some of your favorite all time teammates. Uh man, I'm definitely gonna say all the rookies on the Cleveland team for sure. Um, but when I was over to France, overseas, 
play with a guy named Yaya who came from Georgetown, big man. His name was literally Yaya. And uh, he spoke French, spoke French and everything. So he was kind of helping me out when the other guys were speaking a lot of languages. So he was real cool and uh, we were real cool guys. So he's another cool guy that uh, I like. So, and uh, definitely all my Memphis State guys, you know, from the Chris Gone and the Rodney Newsoms and all those guys, you know, we always had that brother love forever. Who's your NBA champion this year? Oh, man, you're going to put me on the spot for real. Man, you know, I, I'm going I'm to I'm go with the dog horse again, man. I hope they get it together, man. I'm going with Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers, man. Mm. I think Tyro Lou is going to do something to help that team get over that hump, you know. Sometimes it, it, takes a, it takes a move to make things happen better, you know. I mean, they quietly still winning games and playing good basketball. You know, they're not going to get – that hype because of what happened last year, but hopefully Paul George don't become playoff PG ever again. We don't want that guy no more. Just be Paul George. <laughs> and I think getting rid of some of those pieces, though. I mean, I think getting rid of uh, uh, the big guy who went to the Lakers, Montrez, Shockley, Montrez. I think that's going to help them. You know, I think I think it's going to help them in some way. So it's going to let those younger guys who can play a little bit get more have no playing time. So I'm, I'm going to go with the Clippers, dark horse. All right, I'm a Lakers fan, so I'm I'm choosing Lakers in five. <laughs> oh, I understand. I, I think LeBron. I think LeBron is is doing a heck of a job, but you know, if Anthony Davis, he'll still keep her y'all y'all in trouble. Uh oh. I've been I've been saying this. LeBron has been playing great, but AD he's struggling to start off the season so far. Well, you know, he looked a little heavier than he did last year. Maybe it's my TV. I'm gonna just say it's my TV. <laughs> He got that championship weight. <laughs> hey, man, listen, that's real. I'm, a, I'm of the mindset that guy's going to figure it out when it matters, man. He's, yeah, I think they player. will. Yeah, 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 I mean, that's they didn't true. get to really celebrate. No, he, he didn't. The season, yeah. He, the the yeah. offseason was the shortest one ever. I mean, I, I respect that. I respect that. No. Two more before we get you out of here. Again, we thank you for taking time out. Five people, dead or alive, that you'd like to have a meal with. Oh man, I will definitely like to have a meal with. First, definitely would be Obama. I would like to speak to him. I think he's a, a great thinker. Uh, you know, just and then things he accomplished would be always so great. Um, I would like to speak to Muhammad Ali just because of all the things he went through. Uh, for some reason, I would like to speak to Malcolm X because, you know, when people really look at his life, he really opened his eyes to a lot of things because he was closed-minded in one thing, and then he went and researched and learned about what was going on in the world. Um, and one of my favorites is probably my grandfather. Uh, I really didn't get to know him, so I would want to sit, get, sit to meet him and have a meal with him. And then uh, last but not least, uh, can't think of that fourth, fifth person. Let's see. Uh, I probably want to sit there and talk to Billy D. Williams. I know that's odd, but that, you know, the area he came out, you know, he was the smoothest dude in the world, you know, that Coke 45 commercial, you know, hey, come on, man. Y'all don't know nothing about that probably, but hey, I probably want to meet him and just talk to him, have a meal with him, see how smooth he is, you know. <laughs> no, nah, my pop's told me about Billy D. I, I know yeah. a little bit about Billy D. 
yeah, Billy D was a was a. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think he he broke the ground, you know, as far as some of the things he did, as far as acting and and uh-huh. uh, accomplishing. I mean, like when you get into the Empire Strike Back when back then as a black African American actor to get uh-huh. in that type of movie, that was that was pretty pretty big accomplishment. Definitely, I can't argue with that table. That's yeah. probably gonna be a good table, and your mom cooks. Yeah, it's gonna be a good. It's gonna be a good night. Oh yeah. For sure, for sure. Everybody gonna be asleep though. You know what I'm saying? They gonna... <laughs> Everybody gonna fall asleep out of the meal, you know, because when that peach cobbler come with the ice cream, it's over with, bro. Everybody go to sleep. Yeah, it's gonna be that itis. <laughs> Yo, love it. I'm gonna have to call my mom up now. You just said the peach cobbler. I need, I need hey, man, that. Listen here, man. I am a grown man. I will still call my mom and say, hey, look, mom, look, I'm gonna buy all the ingredients. Just cook it for me. <laughs> My birthday Monday, I'm definitely hitting mom dupes up. Like, hey, for my that peach cobbler, I just need. Yes. That's, that's all I want for my birthday. That's all I need. Thank you. That's all you going to say. Thank you, mom. And then you're going to be mean. selfish. You're going to be worse than me. You're going to be selfish. You're going to be sitting there all by yourself, eating it by yourself. They're going to be like, let me get something. No, nah, I'm straight. No, nah, y'all can't. Oh, no. <laughs> nah. It's been too many birthdays I had to share with the sisters and the note. Not this. Not yes. This <laughs> Understand, man. I understand. Last one. We kind of swagger jacked this from another podcast that we listened to. Shout out to all the smoke podcasts, but it's a great question. And for a up and coming podcast like us trying to grow, this is a great question. Who do you think or would like to have as another guest on the Bench Mob podcast? And before you answer, is there any way? whoever comes to your mind that you could give us that connection. Oh, man. Oh, I don't know if I can give it out, but I, I would love to see you do, uh, I'd love to see you do, man, that would be interesting. I would love to see you do Anthony Hardaway, just out of curiosity because of all the, all the things he's going through right now. Kind of answers some weird questions. He has an interesting story. The Penny Hardaway is that what I heard? Yeah. Oh, oh well, dream come true. You know me? <laughs> it's, you know, we would love to have NBA guys on here at all. Having like, <laughs> having you and Brevin on. That's we didn't oh, think yeah. that was possible. We didn't think that kind of stuff. This was possible. So I, I want to thank you, man. Like for real, and you took like an hour and a half out of your your night to do this. So I, you're a college coach. You're busy. Gotta be breaking down film, you know, and so I. Oh man, I do that all day long. It was it was, it was good and a pleasure to be doing something different, bro. I mean, like, you know, this is what it's all about, man. You know, um, taking time out to do things for people. You know, that's I think that's part of life. I think you giving them giving back to more as much as I can. You know, um, it's it's enjoyable. Y'all y'all seem like some great group of guys. When I saw y'all thing do with Brevin, I was like, oh man, they seem like some cool little guys, you know, and. Uh, and and it's cool, you know. It's it's, you know, that's what the world needs right now. We need to be we need to be neighborly. It's right. it's, it's a great word to say, you know. It's nothing nothing personal, nothing bad. It's just being neighborly, just doing nice things for people. Um, and it's been an enjoyable. So, no yeah. problem, man. I really appreciate you guys having me. Definitely. Um, hey, Penny Harlan, we're gonna post this clip if you see this. You are more than welcome to hop on the bench mile. We we will clear our schedule. Just like all of our guests, we will cook. If you want to do it on a Saturday at 2 o'clock in the morning, we're available. Trust me. We work around 
we work around the schedule of our guests, whatever works for them. So you see this one no with that, bro. <laughs> we'll see what we do. We'll, we'll pass, pass it forward. How about that? Appreciate that. But this is the end of this episode. There was a lot of gems, a lot of wisdom in this episode, a lot of good advice, great clips that we're going to be able to use. We, again, thank you for hopping on. But you guys know the vibes. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Bench mob, we out. Peace. Peace. Now you guys take it easy.